We're starting a new sermon series. <clears throat> it's called The Fear of the Lord. And Father, we just ask, teach us like no man can teach us. Not just today, but in the coming weeks. We want to honor you. We want to understand the beauty and power of the fear of the Lord. So help us today in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 9. We're going to look at one verse, but we're going to go through a bunch of verses. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. While you're finding that, I just want to mention we're doing something starting on Wednesday. We've done for 30 years. We're setting aside 40 days of prayer because we know that if we slow down, if we carve out time, if we develop a greater habit of reading just the scriptures for ourselves and going to prayer in the business world, if you do something for 21 days, it'll become natural. You reinforce it by doing it another 21 days, it will become a habit. It'll feel odd if you don't do it. So this is the time to create good habits. Now you've got three options. After the service is over, you can pick up a paper booklet. You can go to the website and do it that way, and you can download it as an app. So there's a lot of ways to do it for your convenience. So if you just go to our website, churchofthesavior.net, it'll lead you to our prayer guide. And you'll see that prayer guide. Everyone see it? Everyone see it? Thank you. Yeah, it's right there. And then when you open it, this is what it looks like. So 40 of our people have written prayers or short devotions about topics. And uh, so this first day is written by our brother, Doug Boggs. And we're going to pray for six topics specially. Same topic every week for six, seven, six and a half weeks. This week we're praying on Wednesday for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We are praying for a different church every day. We're praying for our Ukrainian brothers right here, Pastor Jerry, boy Yechko, who we love. We are praying for some of our global servants. This is the Bokis that we have supported for a long time, 20 years, and we're adding something new. We're praying for officials in government. We're told to pray, and we should do that. And so we're praying for Mayor Linda Gorton on Wednesday. So you see how we're doing it? Everyone understand? You got it? So I encourage you also, you can use this as a family to have family devotions. Let people take turns reading it. I would suggest we all find a prayer partner within the church. You exchange phone numbers and you call. I've got two prayer partners and we call every week. And... Uh, I don't, I don't even know how many prayer meetings we got. There's a lot of prayer meetings. I think I'm in four prayer meetings because uh, I need it. Uh, so find a prayer meeting and join it for six weeks. And But you got to make this personal. Carve out time by being more devoted to the scriptures. Read your scriptures before you do anything else. If you've not read it much, start in Matthew, go to Revelation. And then after you read then have a prayer time. If it's just 10 minutes, do 10 minutes. Whatever you can do, but try to do that every day. If you miss, it's not a big deal. Just get up the next day. 
Okay, so because here's what we're driving at. I think prayer is the greatest skill set you can develop. If you learn to pray, you tap the resources of heaven. So we have a chance to change and grow in the next 40 days. And I just think we will all just have a great experience as we do that. Now, this sermon series is coming out of this book. One of the brothers gave me this book around Christmas. I like John Bevere. He's a brother for awakening, a man for the presence of God. I read the book and it scared me. <clears throat> it bothered me in a good way because it's about the fear of God. And so our preaching team, we will be going through this for six weeks, and I think you will enjoy it. I think it will help you get closer to the Lord. Now, you got your Bibles open, Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Say it with me, please. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is not about IQ, education, how smart you are. It's about wisdom. Wisdom is the principal thing. Wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. You can be very smart and be foolish. You can be a 10-year-old and have a lot of wisdom because you understand the ways of the Lord. And the rest of the verse, say it with me, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So as we pursue Him, we get to know Him. And that knowledge gives us understanding, which is how things work and why things don't work. And some of you, this might be a great verse for the year for you to memorize. Now, let me give you a definition because we never want to talk about stuff and not define it. And the fear of the Lord is not easy to define, but let me give you a simple one to the best of my ability. When you have the fear of the Lord, it means you have chosen to give him the highest respect possible. Now, this is my parents who are with the Lord now. I love them. Good people. I'm so grateful for them. They love this church and they loved you guys. Um, that's my mom, Mary, and my dad, Warren. My dad uh, was abandoned by his father, raised by a single mother. A grandfather spoke into his life. It lived across the road. Uh, he got through World War II on a B-29 as a flight engineer. Uh, he opened several small businesses, and we farmed on the side, and my brother and I worked for my dad every day. He paid us well, but he was black and white. He was, you're going to do it, even if it's wrong, it's going to be done. He was about 205 pounds of muscle, and he thought he was right all the time. And my brother and I would argue, my brother would argue overtly, I would argue inside. <clears throat> and they would often almost come to blows on the job site. And since we were both knuckleheads, <clears throat> um, one particular day we were on a job site, and my brother, who was 
three years older and probably 25 pounds bigger, started pushing me around. So I started throwing punches and he started throwing punches and we're rolling around in the Georgia dirt and uh, dust is flying and hair pulling and gouging and probably bad language. And my father looked out from another area on the job site and he told us to stop one time. And we did not. We kept elbowing, punching, all that kind of stuff, rolling around. And then out of the corner of my eye, I saw the big man walking fastly toward his disobedient sons. And he had several two by fours that were about this long in his hands. And he'd been a really good baseball pitcher after the war. And I saw him draw back with the two by four. And all of a sudden we ran like rabbits. And he flung those two by fours. We learned something I called total reverence for the big man. I came to Christ the next year. My brother came to Christ. My dad found his faith. My mom came back to faith. And we had a great relationship. And to this day, I, I love them both. I can't wait to see them. But if my dad looked at me, that was enough. If my dad stood up, I knew I was in trouble. And uh, I want to say, I was never afraid of him hurting me, abusing me, never heard him swear, never saw him unfaithful, never saw him take a drink of alcohol. But he knew what he knew, and he wasn't going to put up with foolishness. And I learned to revere him. Now, my heavenly father is the same way. I'm not afraid of him hurting me, but he will spank the daylights out of me. He will. He does not like foolishness either. And part of the fear of God is teaching us to honor our father in heaven and to obey our father in heaven. That means to fear the Lord. And above what I want to do or what everybody else wants me to do, I need to honor and obey him. And our role model, who's our role model? Remember the answers on the... Jesus is a role model as a perfect son to the perfect father. And when his men ask him, teach us how to pray, this is how he started. He said this, say it with me. Our father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Lord, I want to honor your name. I want to bring glory to your name. I want to please you more than I want to please anybody else. Now, the fear of the Lord or lack of fear of the Lord is determined by where the Lord is in your heart. Will you say, well, I'm a believer. He's in my heart. Yes, he's, he's in your heart if you're a believer. But where is he in your heart? If he's at the, is he the first which means he's Lord? Or is he last place, which means you are Lord? Do you reverence him? Will you honor him? And the fear of the Lord is not being scared of God. If people are scared of God, they are afraid to approach him. And they actually pull 
back from him if they are scared of him. That's not what the fear of the Lord is. Someone who is scared of God often has something they're hiding. They're doing something they shouldn't do. And they know it, and they feel it. A perfect example example is Exodus chapter 20. After the Ten Commandments are given, Moses comes down. The people are awed, intimidated by the lightning, the thunder, the Shekinah glory on top of Mount Sinai. And here's what they tell Moses when Moses comes down. They said, please, 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 we want you to speak to us. Don't let God, the Holy One, speak to us because if he speaks, we're dead. We're toast. And how does Moses reply? Chapter, uh, chapter 20, verse 20, he says this, don't be afraid of the Lord because he's come to test you in order that you will learn the fear of the Lord. If you learn the fear of the Lord, you will stay out of sin. Don't run away from him. Run toward him because the person that fears the Lord really has nothing to hide. And you say, well, what do you mean? Nothing to hide. Because the person that fears the Lord, they are driving toward him. They are seeking him. They want to learn from him. They are trying their best to enter his presence. They just uncover themselves. Lord, I was selfish. Lord, I was arrogant. Because what, what is the person that seeks God that wants the fear of the Lord, what are they afraid of? Well, here's what they're afraid of. They're terrified of being away from the Father. Because they know God is their greatest treasure and asset. When, when a lot of people deserted Jesus after a couple of hard messages, everybody left but the twelve. Jesus turned to the 12 and said, uh, where are you guys going to go? Are you leaving me too? I love what Peter said. I've got no other place to go. I've seen too much. You're not running me off. I am pursuing you. And so the pursuit of the Lord means we want to Run away from darkness. We want to run away from how many have gotten into sin before? Hold your hand up, gotten into sin before, done stuff stupid, all of us have. So we want to run away because if I run away from sin, I'm going to be close to God. If I run towards sin, I'm going to be far from God, right? Is that simple? So the fear of God actually draws a person toward God. The mystery, the beauty, the glory, the compassion, the forgiveness is winsome. It's so attractive. And it propels us to want to be in his presence. Now, there's a few things I just wanted to share with you. It's on your, in your notes there that tell us what the fear of God is as we grasp it, understand it, and live it, what it'll do for us. A lot of wonderful things. One, the fear of the Lord 
displaces a lot of other fears that are really unhealthy fear. When Jesus was asked about who you should fear, yeah, hey, uh, we might get killed serving you. Should we be afraid of the people that might murder us, kill us, torture us, imprison us for the gospel? He said, don't fear the one that's able to kill you. One, you can't be killed anyway unless I allow it. But give reverence to the one as a call over eternity. Now, Charles Spurgeon, this great preacher from London, young, started as a young man. This is what he said about the fear of the Lord. He said, the fear of the Lord is the death of every other unhealthy fear. It is like a mighty lion that chases all fears before it. Someone say amen. amen. Well, like what kind of fear? Well, for instance, do you fear death? There's a lot of people that fear death. What's the antidote to fearing death? Trusting God. Now, when I put up a fear, I want you to repeat, what am I going to do? I'm going to trust God. So are you with me? So are you afraid of death? What do you do? How about, are you afraid of getting sick? Okay, are you afraid of flying on a plane? What should you do? I was on a flight one time, sat in my seat, and a handsome man, a little older, much older than me, sat down right beside me. He was a full bird Air Force colonel, and he sat in the seat beside me. He had his beautiful uniform on and his beautiful hat, and you could see, you could see different decorations on his uniform. And we were getting ready to get out on the, the runway taxi. And he said, I just got, I inter always introduced myself. I'm Steve. And he told me his name. And then he turned to me and said, Steve, I got to tell you ahead of time, I want to do something really weird when we start moving on the runway. And I'm going, uh-oh. <laughs> Is he going to punch me? Is he going to call the, get me arrested? Is he going, <laughs> I said, well, excuse me, what are you going to do? He said, I'm terrified of flying. That's what, so you're a full bird colonel in the Air Force and you're afraid to fly? I'm afraid to fly. It's not rational. I can't help it. I got to fly, but it just freaks me out. I, I have panic attacks. So he said, I said, well, what are you going to do? Is he going to sit in my lab? Do I cuddle him? You know, do I put a blanket over him? Do I let him go to sleep in my lab? What do I do? He said, well... When this starts moving, I'm going to stick my head as far down as I can between my knees and put my hands over my head, and I'm going to whimper. I said, really? I said, do you want me to join you? Let me sit on your shoulders? So sure enough, when, the, when it started taxing, that's what he did. I could hear... We got up in the air. He was okay. I said, that was a little different. Yeah, that was a little different. So if you're afraid of being alone, what do you do? How about this? You're afraid of not having enough. What do you do? Amen. Now, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of everything good that will ever happen to you. Where do you get that? Well, I get it from Proverbs 14. The fear of the Lord is a what? A fountain of life. Everything good comes a fountain of life and it turns away everything 
bad. How about this one? Seek. The fear of God causes us to hate sin. Should we hate stuff? Yes, we should. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Why should I hate evil? Because evil and sin destroy people. Do you know what I'm talking about? Say amen. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's hurt all of us because we've made poor choices. It's messing our country up, messing our city up. We should love what he loves, right? Which means we should hate what he hates. Disclaimer here, we do not hate people. Even people we disagree agree with, we love them, we pray for them, we serve them. We don't hate people, even we that are hard to like. But what do we hate? Well, we hate lying. God hates lying. He loves liars, but he hates lying. Uh, he hates theft. He hates pornography, because pornography destroys everybody. He hates abuse, all forms. He hates racism, all forms. Racism is sin. He hates the murder of innocence. Say amen. amen. He does. He loves people that have been wounded, but he hates the things that happen to destroy people. 270 million people trafficked around the world. This Super Bowl, a lot of us will watch. I bet there's 1,000, maybe 5,000 innocent people who are trafficked to beat Vegas. It's horrible. He hates it. And the 3 billion people around the globe that have not heard the gospel, he hates it, we should hate it. And we should do something about it. Somebody say amen. Now, the fear of the Lord keeps us safe. Do you want to be safe? How, how does the fear of the Lord keep us safe? Because of fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. I have a choice. Do bad or run away. I got to run away. Say bad things, walk away. I got to walk away. Can't say that. The fear of the Lord brings stability. Do you know the difference when something is unstable versus some, a, a, a job is stable, a company is stable, a church is stable, a family is stable, a marriage is stable versus when it is not stable? Do you know the difference? The scripture says the fear of the Lord prolongs life because it brings stability. The years of the wicked will be shortened. Now see the picture up on the screen? That's an unusual picture. That may be the oldest tree in Europe. It is an oak tree in Avernet, Germany, is 800 years old. Do you know what? That tree is stable. It is strong. It has roots. It's stable. Now, can I show you the opposite? Want to see the opposite? Uh, do I know what this is? That's my hair in the morning. That is what is called tumbleweed. Very little roots, very unstable, can't hardly even get a fire going with it because it just burns up no fire. It's brittle. It is driven by 
the wind. That's why they call it a tumbleweed. Let me do the verse again. Can I do the verse again? Look at the verse again. Say it with me, please. The fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be short. F, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. Do you know what a treasure is? Do you know the price of silver right now? Do you know what treasure is? Your version of your Bible may say the fear of the Lord is a delight. The more the fear of the Lord you have, the greater treasure you will have. The fear of the Lord is God's gift to us. It's not a weight. It is a gift. It is a blessing. Is it your treasure? Say amen. Is it your treasure? I'm sorry. You got to help me better. I mean... Is, is it your treasure, the fear of the Lord? Amen. Yes. Yes, it is. Through the fear of the Lord, this is so beautiful. We become his friends. Where do you get that, Steve? I get it from Psalms. A friendship, say it with me, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. You know, Abraham was called the friend of God. Moses was called the friend of God. Would you like to be the friend of God? Would you like for heaven to look down and for the father to say to Gabriel, look there, that's my girl right there. She's not only my girl, but she is my friend because she likes hanging out with me. And I will do stuff for her I won't do for anybody else because she's my friend and I'm her friend. That comes with the fear of the Lord. So it's a, I'm, I'm just making sure I'm not the sharpest. Not the best. Just asking, is the fear of the Lord a good thing? I'm just asking, is it? Yeah. I'm sorry, is it? Yeah. You're sure? Yeah. Okay. Just asking. Now let's talk about a, a fellow, then we're going to go to Solomon's life. This is my brother in high school. <laughs> this is John Bunyan who wrote this book, Pilgrim's Progress. Most of you don't know much about John Bunyan. Incredible man, preacher of the gospel. He was a Baptist preacher in 1678 when to be a Baptist in England was not popular. It will get you arrested. And he was arrested for preaching the gospel and he was sent to prison and he had a big family No money, take care of his family. And the authorities said this. They said this for 12 years. If you will just stop preaching the gospel, we'll let you go home. So you're telling me, I can go home, but i got to shut up about Jesus. Is that what you're telling me? That's what we're telling you. I'll stay in prison 12 years. His greatest ministry came in prison. He wrote this book. And this book is the second most read book in the history of the world outside of the Bible. That's worth going to prison for. And here's what John Bunyan said. The fear of the Lord is his treasure to those who are greatly beloved. I'm we're talking about something valuable here. I pray a lot of us today will go, oh my, 
Oh, thank you, Lord. Now let's talk about Solomon, because we read about four verses that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this man wrote about the fear of the Lord, right? I don't have time to look up all these verses, but you should read about Solomon's life. And it starts in 2 Samuel chapter 12 and ends in 1 Kings chapter 11. So just you can read it in an hour. It is incredible. So he was not born under the most wonderful circumstances. His daddy had an affair with his mother, and it created a civil war. A lot of people died, a lot of heartache, a lot of judgment on David, but still God can bring good things out of a mess. Is that true? So no matter how people have messed up, God can turn something bad into something wonderful. And this boy was born. What number was he to David? Number 10. You guys are so sharp. Number 10. And the scripture says right off the bat, Solomon really loved God. He loved him with all of his heart. And God really loved Solomon. This is a hill. I can't remember. Seven miles, I think, I think, I think, northwest of Jerusalem. I was on a bus. We drove around the bottom of this hill. And I'm so nosy. I ask too many questions. I want to learn so bad. I just can't keep my mouth shut. So I turned to my Palestinian tour guide. I knew very little about Israel. I said, what is that? What's that up there? And he said, oh, you don't know anything about it. It's a place called Gibeon. I went, that's Gibeon? I know a lot about Gibeon. What do you know about Gibeon? I said, well, after the young King Solomon was coronated, he realized he was right here and he needed to be right here. And he needed to seek God. So he took himself, his core military, his worship people, and they camped out on top of that hill because that's where the tabernacle was. And they sacrificed a thousand sacrifices. You know, that's a big deal. And they worshiped and they prayed. And totally exhausted, he went to bed, went to sleep. Going, Lord, thank you. Do you have something for me? And the Lord came to him in a dream and said this. If you seek God, God will come to you. I don't know when, how, or where, but he will come. And in the dream, the Lord said, Solomon, what do you want from me? Anything you ask. And he said this. I don't want wealth. I don't want power. I don't want military victory. I need an understanding heart because I want to understand you. And I need wisdom. I am a kid. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. And our country is great. We have problems. And this is an opportunity. And my daddy loved you like nobody else. I don't measure up. Will you give me wisdom? And the Lord gave him wisdom. It was a gift. And just somewhere, maybe the next week or so, he's back in the palace, David's palace. 
And an impossible situation is brought to his attention. And they go, Lord, we can't figure out what to do. There's two women who are roommates. They both gave birth practically the same day. And one of them apparently laid on her baby and smothered the child. The child died. And one of them took the dead child and put it by the woman who had the live child and took the live child. Now there's this argument. They're both arguing over the live baby. What do we do? And he said, bring me a sword. He said, cut the baby completely in two and give half to this woman and half to that woman. And the woman with the dead child said, yes, kill the child. Neither one of us. And the other woman cried and said, give her the baby. Give her the baby so the baby will live. And Solomon said, that's the mother right there. Amen. Amen. And the whole nation went, wow. God helped our man. So here's another promise if you ask for wisdom. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. And God will grant it. Solomon, because of his wisdom, his knowledge and understanding, he had more than anybody, apparently, who has ever lived. He built God's temple in Jerusalem. It took how long? Seven years to build. You know why he built it? Because he loved God. He wanted God to have a place to be worshipped and honored and feared. And the love of God and the wisdom God gave him gave this young king enormous success everywhere he turned and when he had success because God gave him the su success the nation prospered under him when a nation honors the Lord and uses wisdom they will prosper and powerful men and women from around the nations came because they could not believe what they heard and they wanted to sit at his feet and learn about animals and learn about music and learn about medicine and learn about all the things he understood nobody else knew. The story turns. He messes up. Well, how does he mess up? He lays the groundwork for his fall early on. He brokers a peace treaty with a rival empire, the greatest empire in the world, Egypt at the time, because he thinks, hey, they are powerful, more powerful and wealthy than us. And since they're only 600 miles away, we would like to have their military support. We'd like to trade with them. We don't even know them. What's the best way to do that? Other kings do it. It's what I should do. So let's broker an alliance and let me marry Pharaoh's daughter. It makes good sense. Have you ever did things that you thought made good sense? But it was not God's sense. I have. Because I didn't pray. And I didn't wait. And he set the foundation for his own struggle. And it was actually the first of hundreds 
of foreign women he married initially for political reasons, and it became an addiction. One is never enough. And it even went against his father's last words on his deathbed. Son, you've watched my life, and you've seen what I did, what other kings do, and you saw the heartache I brought to our family. Don't do it. Don't you marry outside of the faith. Had nothing to do with race. It was outside of the faith. Don't marry outside of the faith. And it was against God's direct commands in the scripture. And he ended up with how many wives? 700 chikorinos that he married. And he had 300 official mistresses. And think, I heard, I don't know if this is true, that half of the marriages were done at the True Love Wedding Chapel in Gatlinburg. That was a lot of trips. Back and forth. <laughs> Those ships will go anywhere from Israel. I don't know about you. I've figured out most of us have addictive personalities. Is, is that true? I just, I, I'm that way. I can get fixated on something and never one's enough. I just want to be fixated on good godly things, not fixated on bad things. For instance, how many shoes does the average person need? How many feet do you have? How many shoes? How many shoes? Now, if I step on anybody's toes, that's a pun. Get it? Toes, shoes. <clears throat> Look at this. This is an NBA player. His name is P.J. Tucker. Good player, plays for the Clippers. Guess what? He has 5,000 pairs of shoes. And these are not $20 shoes that you get half price at Shoe Carnival. 5,000 pairs. And four years ago, when the NBA had their bubble for the COVID, they had nine weeks playing at this one place. Good old PJ just wanted to make sure he had enough rocking shoes. So he only took 100 pairs with him. Only. So how many shoes do you need? How about this? How many books do you need? My wife looked at this and said, got you, got you. I said, no, not quite. This guy is a fashion designer. His name, he's died, died a couple years ago. Bernard Lagerfield, he left 10, he left 100,000 books. 100,000? 100,000 books. A lot of books. How many books do you need? Just one more. 10 more. How many guns do you need? Oh, going to meddling now. How many guns do you need? There's something about that metal when it gets in a man's hand. And a real woman, if she gets it too, the virus, the sickness gets them. I was in Gettysburg. I love Civil War history. And uh, we were at this place where they sold replica stuff. And there was this guy from Virginia. He made working Civil War guns. And he was working on an infield rifle that my ancestors used at Gettysburg. And he said, here, Steve, hold it. Get behind me, devil. I can't see the aim. Oh, there's something that jumped on me. I just, 
I went, would my wife divorce me if I put it over the mantle? Or would she just be mad for a month? Well, well, this guy, look at his gun collection. He only has 115. He says, it's simple. I just bought one, and I kept by. How many tattoos do you need? Oh, I'm going to meddling now. How many tattoos do you need? Um, I'm <laughs> this is Lucky Diamond Rich. If you have a name like Lucky Diamond, uh, he's from New Zealand. He has the Guinness Book of Records for the most tattoos. I can only show you a few photographs. What a handsome boy. He is single and can't get a date. I wonder why. But he's had a thousand hours of ink work. A thousand. He has no nerves left on his skin. That's a joke. One is never what? One is never enough. How about this? How many cars do you need? How many cars? How many cars? How many cars do you need? How many cars does this guy have? How many cars does he have? Does anybody know? Jay Leno has 181 cars, and these are not Kia Sedonas. And he has 160 motorcycles. So how many wives do you need? Look at this selfie. How many wives do you need? Can somebody, men, before we get in trouble, can you answer how many wives do you need? That would be one. Thank you. Thank you. My wife is watching right now. So Solomon started. Here's, here's how it happened. He started, first he allowed, okay, you're from Ethiopia, you're going to bring your God. Okay, you're from Syria, you're going to bring your God. You're from Amman, you're going to bring your God. You're from Moab, you're going to bring your God. Do you have to? Yes, I got to. Okay, bring your God. Then he said, okay, you set up your little shrine over there. So he started acknowledging it. And then the scripture says he started worshiping. Honey, come over. Let's have a little prayer meeting with me and Baal. Baal and then we'll have supper. You'll love the music. Great music. Hold my hand. Let's worship. That's what he did. Now, here's a principle. I love hanging out with lost people, but I know there's a limit. I want them to have Jesus' heart. I do not want their rough ways to get in my heart, or it'll mess me up. They'll, they, can, they can turn anybody's heart. You have to be careful who you run with, because if you run with people that are not good, you will end up loving what they love. That's how I almost lost everything as a teenager. I ran with rough guys who were ball players, and they were older than me. They almost drugged me to hell. Now, can you just think for a minute? Think. If Solomon is the wisest man who ever lived and he couldn't do it, what makes you think you can do it? Just saying. So he lost his fear of the Lord. It wasn't quick. It was centimeter, 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 centimeter. And then he lost his heart for God. And then his behavior showed up. He 
practically ruined his country through his building and spending and lavish stuff. He taxed his people heavily, and his abusive policies turned the people that once loved him against him. And then God, to get his attention because God still loved him, put pressure on him to repent and come back because he used three different countries and three different enemies to start wars against him. He focused on the enemy, not on the one he should fear, and he ignored them. So 20 years with God, 20 years away from God. And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. Have you ever read the book of Ecclesiastes? It's 12 chapters. First time I read it as a new believer, I went, whoa, this is cranky stuff. I don't even know if I should read this. Why? Because the main theme of the entire book is after he's been fallen and away for a long time, he's cynical, he's bitter, he's angry, he's lost his love for God, and this is the theme. Vanity of vanities. Say it with me, please. Vanity of vanities. What do you, what do you mean? Van- is that like a, a porcelain thing you get at Lowe's? No. That's not the vanity. It means worthless, empty, a waste. And these are things he literally wrote. And the, I'm glad the scripture tells it like it is. It's not all clean. It's not all pretty. It tells you the way it was. He wrote, well, what is wrong can never be righted. There's no need to try anymore. Life is a waste. It's vanity. And here's what's happening in our city and among people that we love. There's Christians that were once on fire for God, and they no longer are. They got hurt. They got distracted. They got disappointed. And they lost their fear of the Lord. And they started drifting. And it's amazing. The guy that could write such beautiful, powerful scriptures, at the end of his life, he no no longer believed them. And he was wealthy, powerful, and a miserable old man. You don't want to die as a miserable old man. Because you lost your fear of the Lord. Worship team, would you guys come on out? So at Solomon's death, the prophecy was because a prophet took a new robe, he ripped it into 12 pieces and gave 10 to an alpha male rebel in the north and said, you're going to take 10 clans and I'll leave two clans for Solomon's son. It was a horrible civil war. What you believe will have consequences. So the ten tribes in the north were called what? What were they called? Israel. And the two tribes in the south were called what? Judah. So here's bottom line. Can people change? Can they change it even at the last hour? Can they change? Yes, they can. We all can change. Anybody can change. And people who once walked with God, who haven't walked with God for 30 years, they can come back and walk with God again. They can start afresh, and they can even be closer than they ever were. 
if they just repent, turn, and regain the fear of the Lord. So here's Solomon's return. I read this for years, and I never saw it. I missed it. What do you mean you missed it? I believe Solomon came back. Why do you believe he came back? Because in Ecclesiastes, the last chapter, the last thing people write, the last letter is where they really are. And the last chapter is completely different. So, before we look at the last chapter, my question is, what are you going to do when you mess up? What are you going to do when you get your heart broken? What are you going to do when you feel like it's not worth it? The devil tells you to quit and stop and you can't come back and nothing can be fixed and you can never be used of God again. What are you going to do? Are you going to keep drifting? Are you going to be a shipwreck? Because the issue is when you're broken and there's no hope, and I've been broken a bunch, a lot. And I have thought about washing my hands, not from God and Jesus, but it's not worth serving anymore. It's too painful. It's too risky. It hurts too bad. I can't do it anymore. So the issue is when you get there, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond? Because the issue is not, it's not that you're never going to have hard times or heartbreak or you're going to make a bad choice. Most of us seem to do that sometimes. The only issue is how you're going to respond after you do it. How quick can you get back on your feet? How quick can you start loving and trusting again? And here, here's the good part. Are you, ready for the, are you ready for the icing on the cupcake? I, I never saw it. I missed it. Seven times. Perfect number. Seven times Solomon says in that final chapter, he says, I want to summarize everything I've lived for 70 years. Remember your creator. Come back. Remember how good he's been. Remember all the times he forgave you. Remember the times he restored you. Remember how he helped your dad. Remember the picture, the big picture, the kingdom. It's not about you. Remember. See, the devil wants us to forget. God wants us to remember. It's not about your age. It's not about you. It's not about your past. It's about him and what you can do in honoring him. So I believe the greatest virtue, apparently the greatest virtue, the greatest virtue, the greatest first virtue must be the fear of God. Because if you lose that, you got nothing else. It's your foundation. Read this verse with me from Psalm 25, please. Would you read it? Who are those who fear the Lord? Say it. He will show them the path they should choose. He will always show you the path. 40 days, he'll show you the path. He'll show you what to do because he loves you and he's for you. And uh, I don't want to belabor the point. Christians all around us have lost the fear of the Lord. They have. It's our nation's problem. It's why the church is so cold and evangelism and prayer is not happening because they can sit in church and still not respect him. 
They can say they love him, but they don't honor him. And they look at your they look at their calendar, no time for him. You got 168 hours. You got time for everybody else. And they say with their tongue, they love him, but their behavior, their schedule, and their choices, it looks very different. Like empty words. See, that's what happened to Israel. You say it, my people, with your words, but your heart is so far from me. So we have an opportunity for 40 days. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of everything. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And I believe for 40 days, you and I, you and I, and you God's watching, we have an opportunity because he promises if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. So let me pray for us and the altar will be open. The most important time of the service is these next moments. So you can say yes to him. There'll be people that'll pray. Altar will be open. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for the word. We pray for the fear of God, the love of God to come upon us. Give us a heart to pray, to carve out time, because we want to meet you and hear from you. In Jesus' name, the altar is open. Could I have you all stand as we worship?
service, can we just thank the Lord for how he's shown up today? Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for moving in power. My friend Chris um, texted me um, just some words as he was worshiping. Um, He felt like the Lord was specifically here to heal today. Um, And here are some conditions that he felt like were on the Lord's heart. Um, hearing loss, um, sores on the tongue, intense abdominal pain. He said, I'm calling someone home. I feel like you'll know that that's you. I will heal um, someone's intestines, upper back pain between the shoulders, tooth pain, heart disease. And he wants someone who's having faith for a companion to keep the faith. So he says, I have remembered your prayers. The seasons of answers is upon us. So if any of these are you and you want to pray with our prayer team, they would be honored to pray with you today. Let's just close this service in prayer. You want to close us in prayer, Pastor Steve? Yeah, we always want to give people the chance to receive Jesus. You may be in Indianapolis or England and you're watching, or you may be here. If you want to give your heart to Christ, just pray with me. Lord Jesus, come into my life today. I'm tired of running. I give you my life. Make me your child. Cleanse me of all my sin and make me a new creation and give me a home in heaven. In Jesus' name. Amen. Tell somebody you made that decision. Have a great day. God bless you. Thank you for joining us online at Church of the Savior today. We hope you were encouraged to grow in your walk with Jesus. If you made a decision to follow Jesus for the first time today, please reach out to us. We would love to help you take your next step. Please visit our website for information on upcoming events and how you can connect and serve with your COS family. There is also a prayer request form where you can let us know how we can pray for you. Thanks again for tuning in. Hope to see you next week.